This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny K, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. It's that time again. I'm joined with, as always, Luke Summers and Steve Playtech. What's happening, guys? What's going on? What's up, Danny? What's up, Luke? We also got John Wellborn on the line. How are you doing, John? How are you, Danny? (laughs) And we got a special guest, John Meadows. John, how are you doing? Good, good. Great to be here. All right. All right. Uh, before we get into the discussion, let's let's start with Luke. What uh, what kind of updates do we have regarding uh, where we're at with Wade's army? Well, uh, d- pretty big deal. I just started my donation page today, so uh, I think we're really going to have a, a hike in, in donations. But uh, we're 25 percent of the way there. I think we got like seven grand donated to Wade's army. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Wade's army is a. Uh, is power athletes fundraising group to, to help build awareness on neuroblastoma. Uh, and we're supporting a charity called Wade's wings. Um, we kicked this thing off a couple weeks ago. We got the shirts finalized. There's going to be a ladies tank top coming out soon. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to have this thing up and rolling like full steam ahead. We're 95% of the way there. But, uh, if you haven't donated, please, please do so. And, uh, and start a team. You know, that's the biggest thing is, is we've got people just starting their own teams and, uh, and you build awareness just through your social network. And you'd be surprised how many people can, can identify with, with this story about Wade and, uh, with, without taking up too much time, uh, Wade was a two year old boy whose life was cut short, uh, from neuroblastoma, uh, which is a cancer that, that attacks the brain and the, the central nervous system. So, um, just get get going with that as soon as possible. And if you guys have any questions or want to be more involved than just a donor or, or, or a sponsor, hit up Wade's Army at PowerAthleteHQ.com. That's our, our email address. Or just hit up Wade's Army.PowerAthleteHQ.com. And that's going to give you a ton of info on on everything that's going on. Just, just some significance. Uh, Wade DeBrun, um was the little boy of a uh, good friend of my wife. And what makes it really significant for me and also actually for John Meadows is Wade was a twin. And I remember seeing this whole thing play out when he got diagnosed with neuroblastoma and then, you know, uh, battled it. Then it went into remission. And then when it came back and he finally you know, lost the fight at two. I mean, we watched this whole thing, um, you know, play out and you're seeing the pictures of him with his uh, twin sister. And dude, it crushed us, especially, you know, having twins. And then also John has a uh, twin little boys that are four years old as well. So it just became kind of our champion cause when my wife asked, is there something we can do? And I was like, yeah, we got a lot of friends. We got a lot of dads that do this training. And uh, as a father of a twin, it just, you know, hit me definitely in the stomach. So we started raising it. We raised uh, over $18,000 last year. And this year we're 
I think what, like 30% of the way to our goal or, you know, 25% of the way to our goal was to get 30,000 and our goal was to help them raise a hundred grand to not only fund research on this terrible disease, but also uh, help the families that are out there biting it. Because I mean, these kids basically live in hospice, they live in child care because it's so debilitating as a cancer that attacks all the nerve tissues. And it's, um, it's definitely, uh, this is a little bit we can do. It's definitely pretty powerful. So please help us, uh, please join up. Um, we're doing a big charity workout. Uh, we're selling t-shirts. We just got the designs up. They're pretty awesome. And, um, it's a group effort and we thank everybody for their help. Yeah, the shirt's awesome. Um, I wanted to give a little update too out here in ATL. I, uh, one of my students, I mentioned it, uh, in class neuroblastoma and in my neuroscience class, and she works on neuroblastoma unit at Emory, uh, university hospital. And so we're going to try and spread the word through Emory and the USG system hospitals to try and get some more people involved out here as well. Yeah, we, we had, a, I just got an email from a guy who actually had neuroblastoma at 18 months wow. and it didn't come back and he survived. And now he's like 24, 25 years old and been following the CrossFit football stuff. And all of a sudden this thing came out and he sent me this pretty teary email. He's like, dude, I had, you know, you're 18 months old. You don't know, but he goes, it just never came back. And I never knew why my parents like held their breath every time I went to the doctor. And he goes, now that I see it, he goes, thank you. I'm like, dude, anything we can do, man. We should get him on the show. Yeah, that's amazing. So, Luke, are there any details as far as uh, putting together a team or about how you uh, would go about doing that? Yeah, sure. If it's it's super easy, uh, like every launch pad to get either a team or donate as a solo individual or join a team. All that stuff is on wadesarmy.powerathletehq.com. Or if you just go to Power Athlete HQ, there's a little WA in the left sidebar. Uh, you click on that and uh, there's an enlist column on the right side. You click through and it's it's point and click as soon as you get to our stay, or our stay classy, uh, which is like our, our fundraising platform. You just click through and select a team to join or, or start a team yourself. And, uh, even if you as an individual want to start your own fundraising page, you can do that under a team like, uh, Tex, myself, our other coach Espy, uh, we all are under power athlete HQ. Uh, we join that team. So if you want to put your, like Denny, you want to go on, you want to put your page together, you can join the power athlete HQ team, or, you know, let's say you want to do it for your box. You want to just set up a a three CrossFit team, which we would love. Like that's, that's what we really want to see is, is, you know, CrossFit gyms or, or, you know, not CrossFit gyms, whatever you want to call it. We just want to see groups, of people get together and, and rally together and, and help fight this thing. And, you know, top donations or the top fundraiser, individual fundraiser is going to, is going to get a spot at any cert they want. Uh, same thing with the top, team so the top team is going to get a banner some shirts some swag uh well food co is going to be donating all sorts of tasty treats to uh to some top donors all that information is on on that wade's army website on power athlete hq so right. it's, it's pretty point and click you get going it's three or four clicks and you're set up and, and donated so it's, it's super easy cool cool um how are we doing on a power athlete team series well, the final event, like it's like that that song, the final countdown. The final event is coming up next weekend in just outside LA, LA in Monrovia at CrossFit Team Academy. And Callie's going out there right now to do some preliminary setup. So it's going to be a good one, man. Uh, get signed up if you haven't already. We got 
three teams from Balboa going, none of which John, myself, Callie, Ben are on. <laughs> so uh, we still don't get to participate, but um, it's the final one of the year. And then John and Callie and I were just huddled around a conference table yesterday talking about 2014 and, and how this thing's going to evolve next year. But it's good. Signups are good. It's going to be a great event. And, uh, yeah, we're ready. We're ready to rock. I, I, I always love coming back, uh, if I, or when Callie comes back from these things, cause I get maybe a hundred minutes of just lifting. I get to watch, you know, for better and worse, because, uh, you see some really great lifts and then you see some hideous things like, uh, dudes just dropping bars, rolling off their necks over their heads and like face planning and stuff like that. It's just no good. But uh, it, it's it's always a trip to to kind of do the do the video and get all the videos posted for everybody. Kind of sad uh, to see that it's the last one. I'm excited because it, it, we move on from there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I guess um, sad that it's over, but excited for <laughs> what you guys are gonna um, put in store for us for next year. Yeah, that's what I'm excited about, Denny. I, it's like um, it's been exciting watching the videos and the competition kind of evolve from that first one to teams showing up and really showing up um, to now thinking like, oh gosh, what do they have in store for us next year? You know? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think the team aspect really hit home with a lot. I you know I, I've seen the pictures of everybody huddled around. I've watched the videos of um, like the the team support. So I feel like, you know, CrossFit football headquarters, you guys, you know, if wanting that team unity to kind of like represent in a competition, I think you achieved your goal because that's like the biggest one of the biggest things that I can see in watching those videos. Well, good, good. All right. Well, let's get to our guest, huh? Yeah, let's John do Meadows it. patiently waiting. Uh, you can catch the guy on T Nation. He's wrote some great articles. I recently read your uh, your rear delt explosion one. Um, Sixty sets of like rear delt work in between your shoulder pressing. Pretty cool. <laughs> I tried it and really did thirty. To be honest with you, sixty. I was like sixty with fifteen pound dumbbells. Damn, I'll I'll go thirty, and I was smoked. <laughs> but anyway. Um, uh, going onto your website, you can come across uh, the Mountain Dog Diet. So maybe you can start with just uh, introducing yourself and then, in, you know, kind of defining what the Mountain Dog Diet is. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so first of all, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, the Mountain Dog Diet is, um, you know, people always ask me, what what does that name mean? And there's no real magic behind that name. It's just I'm a big fan of Bernese Mountain Dogs. And um, I use that name, Mountain Dog, on website forums all the time. So uh, people started, you know, kind of getting used to my ideas and, you know, my thoughts around training and nutrition. And they started calling it Mountain Dog Training just because they that that's the uh, handle I was using. So it kind of stuck and it didn't go anywhere. And I thought it was pretty cool because it's personal. It's not just some, you know, weird acronym I made up that's meaningless or something like that. So, um, you know, so there's really two components to what I do on my website and what I, you know, this is what I do for a living. I, I worked in, uh, the corporate world for 12 years at, uh, 
Chase Bank for 10 of those years and another bank for two years. Um, the whole time I was uh, doing coaching in, in this field and competing myself on occasion. And it's, it's always, it's been something I love since I was 13 years old. I actually did my first contest when I was 13 years old, which is pretty silly when you think about it. A 13 year old wanting to be a bodybuilder is kind of, kind of nuts. Um, but so, you know, the, the diet part of this, you know, as, as we get older and as we gain more information, hopefully we uh, try to do things better. And I can tell you guys that I've done some dumb stuff um, along the years training. I'm 41 now, but I tried to always keep an open mind. And the bottom line was I wanted to do what worked the best in terms of gaining muscle. That was kind of my mission. And um, there was a point in my life in 2005 where I got very sick. Um, I was uh, in emergency surgery and was a couple minutes from from dying. And when that happened to me, I figured, you know what, there's probably a health component to this I ought to concern myself with, too, and not just getting huge. <laughs> so um, I took it a little more seriously in terms of the health aspect and and um, it, it really evolved some of my ideas. I saw a lot of the flaws in my thinking that I had in my earlier years and, and with traditional bodybuilding diets in general. And, you know, it's funny, you guys are probably pretty well educated in, you know, the benefits of fats and things like that. But in the bodybuilding world, that stuff was, you know, it was kind of taboo. Like you don't need any fat, you, you know, and um, some, some pretty backwards thinking. So yeah. I tried, yeah, you know, so, um, I tried to educate myself on that and my theories uh, kind of evolved. But, you know, one thing I would say is I am, um, <clears throat> you know, I have some ideas on the way I like to do things, but I like to approach training and nutrition um, from a kindergarten perspective, I call it, with an open mind and always wanting to get better. You know, I hope that a year from now, I know a lot more than I know now. And I hope that five years from now, I know a lot more. So, you know, I don't look at this. What I do is dogma. It's not my way or the highway. It's just my thinking at the time based on the information I have and the experience I have. I work with four or five hundred people a year. So I think I got a, a pretty a pretty good base to work from in, in terms of ob observing results and how things work. And, um, you know, training has kind of been the same way. It's, you know, it's evolved over time. I'm a training fanatic. You know, John's getting a little more familiar now with some of the things I like to do training wise. But again, you know, it's what I do now, but um, I hope to get smarter. I hope to learn more and, and you know, make it even better. So that that's kind of how I, uh, you know, that's kind of the short story of how I think and how I process things and where I'm at. I. I like when you go to mountain dog diet, um, you'll see like a, a, a list of, you know, important things. The first one you have is you are what you eat has eaten. I really like that. And then the second one, fat is not the enemy, not even saturated fat. Well, it's, it, I mean, Denny, it's crazy. In the old bodybuilding days, I mean, the idea is that, you know, high protein, high carb and uh, no fat diet is yeah. it's, it's super lean. And it's interesting because uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, actually posted his uh, 
like what he ate on a day. And it was like, I mean, John, you'd be familiar with it. It was like nine meals. It was alternating between fish, chicken, and beef. It was like probably about nine to 10 grams uh, per meal. And then I think he was eating probably about three or 400 grams of carbohydrates. And it was like the most amount of food I've ever seen for the least amount of calories. And I remember we did a blog post on it and people were kind of confused by it. And I was like, dude, that's a, it's a lot of food. And, um, you know, but at the end of the day, the guy's pretty shredded and, uh, you know, it was interesting. We did that, uh, post and then we got a ton of traffic. I mean, when Luke and I were looking at the, the search terms, the way people were finding us, it was all rocks diet, Dwayne Johnson's diet. And so I think, uh, a lot of people had questions like, why is it, does that style of, of dieting work for those guys and doesn't necessarily work for the masses? And I think, um, you know, you're probably the best guy to answer it, but, uh, you know, my, my whole thing is, you know, if you train hard enough, you got the right genetics and, you know, a couple other elements. I mean, it kind of makes some sense. But, you know, that's when I reached out and I, I started doing some research and found that John was, you know, kind of into this paleo primal thing. And if you guys look on T Nation, I mean, John's pretty fucking jacked and uh, works with a lot of top pro bodybuilders and is using a different approach than the classical bodybuilding. So, um, you know, I hit him up. And we started kind of going back and forth and talking about different stuff. And he sent me some diet and some training. And uh, it's it's pretty uh, interesting when you start slicing up little elements and really looking at it. And what I was really fascinated by is some of the carb cycling. And it seems that nowadays the guys that are really, really, you know, carrying a lot of lean body mass that are in a low amount of body fat are doing some form of carb cycling. Would you agree? Yeah, well, I think that, yeah, I would agree. Yes. And I think the key is... <clears throat> It's using carbs at the right time. And, you know, this is a debate that can go a million different ways. You know, you, you hear that meal timing doesn't make a difference as calories in versus calories out. Um, I, I personally don't agree with that. I think the studies that were done on that were done uh, not in the not in the context, John, that you and I are familiar with, which is getting in the gym and busting your ass. Sure. If you're doing that, there's a lot of. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening inside your your muscle cells. Uh, for instance, you know, you have carrier proteins that, uh, glute, you know, glucose transporters, GLUT4, that will go to the surface of the muscle cell, the cell membrane, allow glucose in, you know, and it'll do it bit, uh, from mechanical tension, which just means from training heavy, and it'll do it just from eating carbohydrates at the time because carbohydrates, as you know, produces uh, you know, an insulin response and insulin does this. So there are some things that are happening, happening physiologically when you train that you just can't deny. And you can't say that if I eat 50 grams of carbs, it, you know, when I wake up, it's going to do the exact same thing to my body as if I consume 50 grams of carbs, you know, while I train. Um, so when you consume carbohydrates, in my opinion, is it has a, has a, a really big effect on, um, muscle growth, uh, being one, one of the factors. Um, and then also just your ability to train hard, you know, it's a, it's a very, you know, I, I do think most people would agree that it's a pretty usable form of energy that, you know, you can train with some volume. Um, and John, I would add that, you know, my approach is I, I like to, <clears throat> the way I think of this is I like to match training and nutrition together. Um, I think a lot of people have an idea of how to train, but they don't really match their nutrition to it and vice versa. So I, you know, I think there's a, based on the way you train, you should, you should adapt your diet to that. 
Um, or vice versa. If you have a certain way you want to eat, then, you know, if you don't want to be in the gym longer than 20 or 30 minutes, you want to do real quick workouts, then, you know, maybe a, a lot of calories that I would normally expect someone to consume around training, maybe that wouldn't be the best approach. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what I like to do is match nutrition to training, make sure they fit well together. And to back to your point, John, the car, you know, the carb piece of this, yeah, I think it just goes down to it just comes down to when when you consume them and you know what your body's going to do with them at that time. What's uh, what's kind of interesting is uh, John shot me an idea and um, of uh, actually consuming some carbs and protein during the workout. And what's interesting is um, you know those of you guys that are listening, and I'm sure Denny and, and all you guys, we all train at a fairly high intensity and a fast pace. Uh, and so I'm in there and, you know, I, I literally have, uh, my iPhone and I set the time and, you know, I'm trying to get as fast as I can and, you know, really doing 60, 90, even, you know, 90 second minute and a half rest sets in between my squats and my stuff. And I remember I'm like, uh, basically I'm taking this during the workout concoction, which at the time before I put any flavor in there, fucking tasted like uh, like <laughs> disgusting wet dog, as John liked to call it. He calls it the goat balls drink. And uh, as I'm consuming it, this dude uh, at the because so I have to use some machines. So I was over at the commercial gym, not at the at our CrossFit gym. And the guy, this dude, comes over to me and goes, uh, "You need to slow down. You're working too hard. You're burning too much precious muscle." And I remember I was so confused because, I mean, uh, you know, like I, I can't fathom not going into the gym and like fucking killing myself. I mean, like I, I just don't know how any other way to train. Like I don't understand the idea. Like I said, I watch these guys train and they're literally having conversations while they're in between, like during the set. Like I watched a guy on uh, doing pull ups and as he was doing pull ups, he's having a conversation. I'm thinking to myself, if I can talk to you during the set, it's either not heavy enough or I'm resting way too much or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so yeah. what, I, what I really liked about John's training is it was uh, it was a very similar to mindset to what we do, where it's like, dude, I'm going to fucking kill myself. I'm going to bang heavy weights. I'm going to uh, uh, go as hard as I can. And I'm going to train out on that edge, out, out on that edge of the envelope. And I'm going to eat a good, clean diet. And it just so happens that John uses his for, you know, uh, you know, big, strong uh, you know, guys that carry a lot of body mass and, you know, step out on stage where we use it for more like power athlete field sports stuff. But what I really came to like was dude, he had a very similar to mindset like us. I mean, I'm sure, uh, even some of the workouts he sent me, I left and I was like, dude, uh, like as I was, we were joking before we started recording, I literally was walking around, like thinking I was going to throw up because my muscles were so pumped and I just wasn't used to that type of feeling within my, uh, individual body parts. I mean, I'm used to that, like, feeling from my body. I mean, imagine, you know, doing a bunch of prowler pushes and, uh, you know, heavy squats, which we've done, but this was definitely an interesting deal. So I, I knew he was, uh, uh, the right guy for us. Well, you know, and then there's this irrational fear of overtraining too. You know, I, it cracks me up. I put a, I put a post, a post on Facebook a while back and I said, you know, does, does overtraining exist? Can it happen? Sure. But, you go to a gym and you tell me that people are overtraining. <laughs> you know, I, I've seen the same things that you're seeing, John. I mean, I saw a guy deadlifting while holding his phone in the uh, in his neck. You know, he had his head cocked to one side, holding his phone while he was deadlifting. Um, the, you know, that's the kind of stuff you see. You know, people aren't overtraining. And then the other thing I would add is 
you know, there's a couple things. A lot of the studies of when muscle growth actually occurs, it's when people actually hit an overreaching phase, which is maybe you're not quite into overtraining, but you're you're getting there and your body says, holy shit, I got to make some serious adaptations. So, you know, it does what it needs to do um, to be able to survive that kind of training. And you make some you make some adaptations and you grow and you get stronger. Um you know, the trick is to know when to kind of pull back because sometimes you have to. And I, I try to build that into into my plans. And then the other thing is if you're sequencing exercises a certain way, you can stay healthy. Um, it's very easy to do. Very easy to do. And that's something in training. That's a huge, huge facet that nobody talks about how you sequence exercises. And I'll just give you like one quick example. You know, if you walk into the gyms, like say where I train, you'll see everybody starting their workouts with lunges. You know, I personally feel that like a lunge feels a lot better if it's done third or fourth in your workout rather than starting with it. There's some things that <clears throat> you just can't prove by science, but intuition and the way your body feels and the way three or four hundred people a year tell you how it feels. Um, there's 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 an art to this, too. And I think the best coaches are the guys that can take the science and take the art and blend it and not be too heavy on one side or the other. Yeah, I like that. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with that statement. Yep. So um, let's talk about the fat intake as far as um, like pre-contest. John, say you're, you're getting ready to get on stage. And from what I remember from bodybuilding, uh, yeah, you know, typically it was like a 12 or 13 week prep phase. Um would your diet change as far as uh, your fat intake when you're when in that preparatory phase or no? Well, you know, it it kind of it kind of has to change. And, and let me tell you why. First, and first and, and let me tell you this, too. I'm not going to sit here and tell you guys that pre-contest bodybuilders are the healthiest model of people to look at. Well, yeah, right. So I don't want to, I don't want to, I mean, you're, I'm assuming that you know that part of it. Yeah. It's funny how you're, you're like almost in your most unhealthiest state on a, on a stage where you're getting um, points for looking the healthiest. Yeah. You know, and I, I am, I'm, I'm crazy with blood work. I've got all my blood work going back to 1998. I've got 15 years worth of it in a stack of papers right next to me. And I know what's going on with my body during a show, after a show. I know what raises my HDL. I know what raises my LDL. I know what I know what raises my C-reactive protein, homocysteine, everything, because I study that stuff. So um, to go back to your question, fat intake before a contest you know, what I like to do is I like to, uh, it depends on how somebody's carbohydrate level is from the start. If there's carbohydrates are pretty spread out, then I like to, I like to start with the meals that are furthest away from training and reduce carbs there. So for example, if you train, let's like, let's say you train at six o'clock at night, you get off work, you train. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your early morning meals. I'm going to start reducing carbs from those meals. And I'm doing this for a couple reasons. Number one, I'm trying to preserve carbs around training so that you can train your ass off. There's nothing worse than being pre-contest and going into train, having no carbs in your body, your muscles feel dead. It's a horrible feeling. I've done it a bazillion times. 
And you guys have probably had low carb days where you tried that and training just sucks. It's just John, I ate less than 50 grams of carbs for six months and ate zero carbs for six months and tried to train. <laughs> I had this, th- I, I had this theory that uh, a complete ketogenic diet would like fix all my mental, uh, damage from uh, playing in the NFL. And so yeah. I got all these papers on, uh, you know, that they were using ketogenics or a, uh, like a ketogenic diet to fix ALS and, uh, all these different brain disorders. So I decided, I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to be mad at the carb for an entire year. And, uh, <laughs> I literally tell people, I'm like, it was the single most miserable point in my whole life. Oh, yeah. So like, you know, and people will say, well, carbohydrates aren't essential, but you you got to look beyond that. <laughs> you, you, you know, you got to look beyond that. And, and I would say, too, that, you know, the the intention is to reduce inflammation when you're talking about ALS and those things. But eating carbs when your body's going to use them isn't going to drive your in- inflammation, you know, and I, I think that's where people don't really they don't really understand what we do. You know, if you're putting carbs in you and you're sitting around and you're watching, you know, reruns of the Dukes of Hazard, you know, that's probably not necessary. <laughs> but, you know, nice. uh, it's all relative, you know, it's all according to the situation. And and John, I think since you we've added carbs to your diet, I certainly don't think you've gained any body fat. I know it hasn't been long, but um, and, and you won't because you're you're using carbs. So. You know, that's what I try to do is I, I try to start with removing carbs away from training to preserve that training period. Um, I try to, under no circumstance, take carbs out around training. Um, so the next logical step that I have is then I might start reducing fat. It's not because I think fat is bad for you. It's just from a simple caloric perspective. You know, when you start talking about getting guys to 4% body fat, you know, I, my last couple of shows, I've tested underwater at 3.7%. You just, you know, there's just a certain calorie level. You just have to, you just have to go down a little bit. And um, I'm not a big believer in cardio. I think cardio can kind of backfire on you after a while and actually make you fatter. So um, that's kind of my approach. So reduce carbs away from training. And then, you know, we'll, we'll start to reduce some fat. And usually that'll do the job. Um that that usually can get people down pretty, pretty daggone lean, depending how long you push it. Yeah. Well, what about a better question? Like, let's say you had uh, somebody contact you and was like, hey, I'm uh, 150 pounds and I want to weigh 250 pounds. Yeah. And uh, like, you know, and, you know, they send you their diet and you realize like this person eats like crap. I mean, what would in terms of like trying to put on, you know, a, a massive amount of weight and you realize it's probably not something that's going to happen in a year. It might not even happen in two, but would there be kind of a, a, a systematic approach in terms of being like, I just want you to go eat everything out there. Is there kind of a, an idea? Would you game plan that? Or would it be something like, you know, Hey, I want you to start making better choices. I mean, cause it's, it's interesting. Uh, we get two types of people in CrossFit football land. We get people that, you know, Hey, I want to be really strong or you get guys like, um, you know, I've never lifted weights or, you know, guys like Playtech or myself or, uh, or Luke, I mean, who are already pretty strong and I'm looking to try to maximize performance and be as big, as strong and, and, uh, you know, able as I can. So it's, would you say that you get people have, I'm sure you've been contacted like people like that. What's kind of the mode of thinking when you get, when you get an email like that? Well, I'm going to look at a couple things. So <clears throat> is it one of these guys that has one of these insane metabolisms that, you know, I've got a guy right now that's 155 pounds and this guy eats 3,800 3, calories a day. That That's a 
pretty fair amount of calories for someone who weighs, you know, a buck 50. Um, you know, so you're going to run into guys like that. And when you get into situations like that, you know, you can eat all the fish and egg whites and chicken in the world, but you're not going to put on the amount of muscle you need to. You have to opt for more calorically dense food, you know, more whole eggs, more grass fed beef, you know, things like that. So food choices are going to get more calorically dense. Um, and if it's somebody that burns through food like that, then, you know, um, I'll be honest with you. I might have them eat a pizza after they work out, after they do legs. I might have them go to Donato's and eat a pizza. You know, they need, they really need to, the, the bottom line is they need to get into a caloric surplus and you can only eat so much clean food. I mean, think about this. Think about like, let's say we wanted to have 150 grams of carbohydrates after you work out. Think about how many, how many, how much damn potato that is. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, that's roughly, what is that about? Uh, well, that's roughly two cups of grape nut cereal. And then I think uh, that would be what? About two cups of, um, no, maybe it's three cups of, of white rice. Is that three cups of white rice? Well, we about 40 grams in a cup. So oh, 40, geez. that's almost four cups of rice. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a, lot, a lot of freaking food. So that's a lot of rice. That's a lot of damn rice. So, you know, I might take somebody like that and I might say, Hey, you know what? Go get a box of Captain Crunch or go get a go get a, you know, a pizza. Do this twice a week. You know, you get somebody who burns through calories like that. You know, they're not going to they're not going to get diabetes, uh, you know, from eating a bowl of cereal or a big bowl of cereal or two big bowls of cereal every week. So, you know, I'm a little more laid back with food choices. Then you got the other people who are. You know, maybe their metabolism isn't that fast. They just don't know how to eat. So, you know, the first thing I'm going to focus on is, are we getting your peri-workout nutrition correct? And when I say peri-workout, what I mean is before you work out, during your workout, and after your workout. Now, you know, we, we've always read about this window of opportunity after you train. Now, I've, I've got a little bit – I used to subscribe to that theory, and, and I don't think it's a bad theory because it makes sense – um, and it kind of goes back to the conversation we had about glute four and glucose transporters, but I have a little different spin on it. You know, John mentioned drinking protein and carbs while you work out. That has to be a very specific type of carb and a very specific type of protein for it to work. 99% of the stuff that's out there will not work. Um, it has to be assimilated by your body in a certain way. So if you do that, you know, you have some you know, that's kind of my number one thing is I like to let's nail what you're doing while you train. And, and we could get into a big, long discussion on that. I love that. It's probably my favorite thing in the world to talk about. Um, but then what you eat before and after you train. So that whole window around training, let's perfect that first. And then let's work our way out from there. Okay. Now let's talk about your lunch. Now let's talk about your breakfast. So, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not real, uh, strict on food choices. I, I think there's some flexibility in your choices that we should all have. You know, if I tell somebody to eat a cup of oats and they say, well, can I have sweet potato instead? Sure. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, have a sweet potato, have, you know, or if they're eating, you know, chicken, well, can I have, you know, a piece of wild salmon instead? Yeah, absolutely. Let's just account for the calories. But so, you know, when you, when it comes to mixing all these good, healthy foods, I'm very, very flexible in that. Um, and I think more variety, the more variety, the better. Um, you know, uh, so a little different approach is more from the ground up than, you know, the other guy who maybe trains hard but just has a crazy metabolism. 
would you say that people are more chronic under eaters or over eaters? I mean, and it, it's been amazing actually for, uh, you know, we always tell people whenever they start training, like I, uh, I'm not a huge fan of weighing and measuring my food for most people because, uh, but I, I always ask everybody to do it just because I think everybody's perception is off. I either meet people that are like, have no concept of what a cup of something is versus people that actually weigh and measure or even just do it for like a week just to get an idea how much they're eating. And it's usually pretty funny when they come back, they're either like nobody's ever dead on. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Like most of the people I've seen that want to put on weight are usually terrible under eaters. And the people that are like, man, I'm having trouble leaning out. You haven't count their food. And all of a sudden they're like, dude, I'm eating twice as much as I thought I was. And it's, it yeah. it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> that's, that's pretty common. And the, the flip side of that is I have these guys that come to me and say, man, I eat nonstop. I eat so much and I can't gain any weight. And then they, and I have them break down a day for me. And they had, you know, they, they had a, a bowl of cereal for breakfast. They had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for lunch and they had a protein drink, you know, after they worked out, I'm like, uh, that's not going to cut it, buddy. So, you know, I see, I see everything, man. I see it from all different, <laughs> all different angles. And, um, it, you know, when it comes to weighing food, the, uh, your point is one of the reasons why I do it. Another reason is because if I make a change in a diet, if I tell somebody to go, for instance, from eight ounces of meat to four ounces of meat, if they haven't been weighing it, they're not, I mean, they're not going to be able to make the change. Um, you know, and when you look at a diet, people get really, really wrapped up in having this perfect diet to start with. And when I build a diet plan for people, quite frankly, I just want to get in the ballpark. I just want to get close because, because really what matters is how you adjust a diet plan based on what you're seeing. You know, you take certain factors and, um, you know, certain data and measurements and how the person, then some of the intangibles, how a person's feeling, all those things. And that's how you make adjustments and that's how you get somebody where they want to go. So, you know, I'm, I'm of the school of, hey, just get them in the ball game, get them on a plan and then we can adjust as we go. Um, but to get them on a plan, you know, they need to be pretty precise with their, you know, with their, me- with their measuring. And then, you know, once they're comfortable with it, you know, then that's a little different, but I think you're right, John, people just, they're not really sure because if you're not training for a competition or something, what, you know, most people would think, why, why even bother, you know, and I don't blame them. Why, why bother? <laughs> so, um, you know, that's kind of how I like, like to look at it. And then when I, work with the really competitive folks that, you know, at the high levels, uh, we're very precise. I mean, everything has to be very precise. Again, it's, it's just when you make adjustments, you have to make adjustments with the right facts. So if you think somebody's eating 3,300 calories and they're really eating 3,600 or 2,800, then you're going to make a change based on wrong information. And it's not going to be the right change. So I'm a little bit tougher on people, you know, the higher up there, the competitive ladder they get. Sure. What, what kind of, uh, biomarkers, what kind of factors do you think are most beneficial? Uh, body fat, basic metabolic rate, uh, blood work, weight, or just pictures. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure people do all gamut of things. Is it something like, uh, measurements? I mean, what kind of factors would you, 
really like hang your hat on and be like, you know what? Okay, obviously body fat's good, but then you look at a dunk test versus a skin fold versus a bod pot. I mean, there's so many different matrix for necessarily testing body composition. And um, I'm always interested to, you know, what's really those ones. I mean, I, I can only imagine a, a bigger one is probably with four, you know, under 4% body fat, your joints must've been on fire just from, you know, the lack of fat. I mean, to be that lean, I know when uh, at my best, I think I was, uh, like 8% at a little over 300 pounds. And I remember I was on, uh, during practice, I took a hit and I got a massive bruise and I went into the doctor and he looked at it and he goes, I'm like, dude, I've never bruised like this. And he's like, I think you need, need some more body fat. Yeah. Yeah. Your uh, joints, your joints are, I mean, saturated fat. So, well, you know, you can, you can find flaws in every type of measurement, every body, whatever, but if you take if you take into consideration, you know, different factors, it'll paint a picture for you. So, for instance, what I like to do um, is I like to take somebody's top, either their top or their top two highest skin folds. So where are you the absolute fattest? Um, if you if somebody's worst skin fold is getting better, then, you know, they're going in the right direction. Now, if you get something like, let's say somebody carries fat around their stomach and then, you know, why, why measure their biceps? You know, they don't carry fat there anyway. So who cares if their biceps get a little bit leaner, but they don't have any reduction in abdominal fat. So I have this, you know, I don't know if anybody else does it this way, but I, I only care about the person's worst sites. And that's what I'll track in terms of body fat. And I typically just have people use skin folds. In a perfect world, I'd put everybody in a DEXA machine, but that's just, you know, that's just not realistic. So I try to make it very doable, very executable. I don't want people's updates to be something where they go, oh, my God, this is going to take hours. No, just snap a picture. Take your two highest skin folds. Some people ask for their waist measure. It depends on kind of what their goals were at the beginning of the program. Um, you know, I like to know how somebody's strength is. If somebody, for example, loses five pounds. Well, if they tell me I was weak as a kitten, I mean, I um, I got <laughs> crushed under the squat rack, <laughs> you know, then, you know, maybe that five pounds wasn't good. Uh-huh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you you teed that one up for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, in a situation so in a situation like that, the five pounds wasn't good. But if you look at all this stuff together, OK, their skin folds are growing this way, their strengths holding. You know, they feel good. They don't feel like shit all day. You can you can get a picture of where someone's going, you know, and that's why I like to look at different factors, because any of them by themselves can be skewed. But if you pick out different factors, it'll paint a picture for you and, and you can sort of tell what's going on. Sure. Interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, so basically you need uh, to set a roadmap. You have to get some constant uh, feedback, whether it's strength gains, whether it's performance gains, whether it's some physical gains, then you got to be able to adjust the calories or the training to kind of meet the needs of your athletes. Yeah. And I work with a lot of powerlifters too. I mean, I work with some world-class guys, you know, Matt Kroc, I work, I work with one of the top raw powerlifters in the world. You know, their goals are a little different, but they're after more performance. You know, a guy like me, I just want my legs to be big and veiny. Those guys want to squat 1100 pounds, you know, so the nutrition's a little different, um, but again, it goes back to what you just said. Figure out what the goal is, and then build the plan to meet those goals. How, how would you skin it for, like, let's say, a power lifter or a guy like that? I mean, would it be, um, you know, is the is there 
you know, cause they're obviously going to do their style of training that needs it. So then is it something where, you know, your nutrition has to match their training or do you adjust their training to kind of meet some of your nutritional uh, recommendations? Well, in those cases, I usually just do nutrition. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm a pro at programming powerlifting because I'm not. I'm not an expert at that. My workout partner, Dave Tate, he's an expert at it. Um, so with those guys, it's usually just nutrition. And, you know, I look at it a little bit differently. You know, you know, if you have a huge gut, yeah, you could maybe you can squat a little bit more. Hell, you, you bounce off your belly. But... You know, the powerlifters that I work with, you know, I'll give you an example. I just had Brandon Lilly. This guy is a, is a world-class raw powerlifter. He just dropped 30 pounds and PR'd every single lift he has by at least 30 pounds, 30 or 40 pounds, I think it was. Wow. And Damn. He, yeah, I mean, he was pretty amazed by it. And, you know, I, and that, that's pretty common with a lot of the guys I work with because – you know, there's I, I know people love this if it fits your macros type eating where you can eat Pop-Tarts all day long instead of you know, oats and sweet potatoes if you want. Um, but there's just something to nutrient dense food that makes your body function better. And I don't know why that's such a damn hard concept to. So what you're saying is eating real food makes you stronger. That's crazy talk. I know. I, I know it sounds insane, <laughs> but I, I feel um, like I've heard that somewhere else. I don't know. Well, but you know, as normal as this sounds to us, though, you go do some Googling and you go tinker around on some Internet forums and you're going to have a huge school of people that will tell you all that matters is the amount of carbohydrates, the amount of protein, the amount of fat. Nothing could be further from the truth. You can't tell me that eating a, a piece of fried chicken from KFC is going to be the same as eating some whole eggs with a little bit of organic red palm oil on. You can't tell me that's going to have the same effect on the body. Um so with a lot of these powerlifters, John, it's just a matter of changing their food choices. You know, they're not going to a buffet every night and and their strength goes up and they're happy. They're thrilled. They're like, oh, my God, I, I didn't know you could do this. Now, I yeah. used to train at Westside Barbell uh, with Louie back in the 90s. And, this, you know, our standby nutrition plan was, you know, we'd go to Bob Evans before we trained. We'd go to McDonald's after we trained. Um I would drink chocolate milk pretty much all day long, as quick as, as much as I could. I mean, and I would eat potato chips at night um, because it was very calorically dense and I could just gain a lot of weight that way. Right. Um, you know, so my my actions, I don't quite do the same thing nowadays, but, um, you know, so that's kind of where I'm coming from. So when I went at, when I was out at Westside, Louie told me I was too uh, slim around the waist to squat a thousand pounds. My waist was only like a 38 or a 40. And he said, I needed to get my waist up to at least a 46 to be able to squat a thousand. I was too narrow in the hips and he's actually changed. It's Bob Evans. And then either that Italian spot or a Chinese buffet. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> hey, um, Wellborn, you, you've worked with some of those guys at West side on their diet, right? Yeah. Cleaning it up. And, and you saw some good results from that. Yeah, uh, it was uh, uh, AJ Roberts hit me up. He was having some uh, after I was out there um, while they were doing a cross for a, a West Side seminar. They were kind of going through some nutrition stuff and his guys were really butchering it. And I kind of jumped in and was like, whoa, 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 you know, uh, you know, telling guys to, you know, make sure they hit Taco Bell, McDonald's and uh, Burger King so that they get a vast array of nutrients is not a good nutritional plan. And like, I can't sit and listen to this shit. So. Uh, after that, AJ pulled me aside and said, Hey, you know, I'm having some sleep happy and I'm having some real problems. Uh, could you help me out? 
So I kind of just went back and looked at his diet and he wrote everything down. I said, hey, let's change here. And we ended up getting him into a more paleo primal approach. And all of a sudden he uh, hits me up and he's like, dude, I, 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 I'm feeling really strong. I was like, that's good, right? And he's like, no, I, I'm just telling you, man, I, I, I don't know what happened. And I said to him, I was like, dude, just by getting rid of a lot of those foods, we're reducing inflammation within the system. He's like, my body's not hurting. My joints aren't hurting. I'm not having, I'm not waking up a hundred times a night. And then I think he went out that after three to four months of working with me, he went out and set the world record and then uh, promptly retired and said, you know what, this is going to end my life. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, he wrote me up a real nice article and then I presented on it at uh, the ancestral health symposium, you know, and, uh, there's guys like Stan Efferding who holds a world record in raw powerlifting and is also a competitive bodybuilder and Stan, same deal, uh, you know, believes in fats. I mean, consumes a lot of saturated fat, uh, a lot of clean carbs, uh, drinks a lot of raw and pasteurized whole milk and, you know, is very in line with what John's saying. And so, you know, here are two guys that are, you know, some of the strongest guys in the world and obviously working with Brandon and a lot of those guys that are eating a, a diet of real food that are actually caring about what they're getting in and, you know, are training in this same mentality. So I think, uh, you know, what's cool about having John here is he's so far ahead of the curve. And I always feel like we're ahead of the curve and that's cool when somebody else is doing it. Because like you said, if you check on any internet form that has to do with bodybuilding or training or whatever, they're going to, you know, you're going to have some 136 pound guy that's, you know, going to have 12,000 posts. So therefore he's the best and the most knowledgeable individual because he posts the most. I always assume that if you have that many posts, you're not fucking training. And, uh, you know, those guys are going to be like, Oh, it's not that it's this, you know, it's, uh, you know, carb backloading, carb front loading, carb side loading. And they always, everybody's got some secret fucking plan, but you know, I mean, it's kind of similar and it's, you know, and that was a lot of our mentality always was, you know, what are the best people in the world doing? And you know what, if this guy's got the best performance, let me take back and see what he's doing. Let's let me take and use what I can and then, you know, go out and see what, what's best for me. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate and really liked what John was doing. It was pretty interesting stuff. Hey, John, can I ask you a question? Um, uh, you had mentioned earlier that uh, you tailor your, your nutritional advice to people predicated upon where they uh, hold their fat primarily. So if somebody holds it I think you said around the bicep or around the belly. Uh, and then you also indicated earlier in the talk that you're really into biomarkers. I wonder, have you looked at any correlations between where people carry their fat? I mean, obviously cortisol is one and kind of biomarkers that, that are uh, consistent biomarkers for where somebody might carry their fat. And does that, does that inform your nutritional advice? You know what? I'm, um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm on the fence on this one. Um, I actually have, um, I got it right in front of me here. I actually have a salivary hormone test kit right in front of me to test my cortisol because I only, I, I pretty much only carry fat in my lower back. Um, but, and so I wanted to see what my cortisol levels were, but that's, that's for being a dad. We call that dad fat. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Dad fat. <laughs> because every dad that I've met, like, uh, I remember, um, uh, I, I remember I came in after having not slept more than 45 minutes for like three months. And I remember I said to Luca, I was like, dude, I reached back and I felt like I have this like back fat love handles. And I remember I called Rob Wolf and I was like, dude, what is it? And he's like, welcome to fatherhood. That's all he said. <laughs> and then, uh, nice. then all of a sudden, and he, he said it like, kind of like a smart ass. And then he called me after he, he had not slept for three months when he had his little girl. And he was like, dude, I got the body fat. He goes, I got the back fat. So I'm just saying that's dad fat. So I'm, I'm, I think what Steve's getting at, John, is how do we get rid of the dad fat? 
Exactly. Yeah, man. That when you hold it, okay. So assuming, uh, so again, I'm on the fence. I I am. I I can't say that I believe that we can change our diet to attack different fatty areas. I mean, like for instance, you could say, okay, let's say we have a woman who carries it on her, you know, her uh, hips and thighs due to estrogen. So you know, if we feed her a shitload of cruciferous vegetables. Um, is that going to help reduce estrogen and make her leaner? I, I don't know. I mean, I'm really, really on the fence with this because, and I, I, the reason why I'm on the fence is because I don't really see anything in the field working with a lot of people that magically zaps fat off a tough area to get rid of in the first place. I think a lot of that's genetic. A lot of it changes as you get older. Um, so, man, I don't know. I mean, I you know, you look at a guy like Poliquin, and I think Poliquin talks about how he thinks that everything is happening for different hormonal reasons. And I, I'm sure that has a part of it, but I also think that we, we undervalue just our DNA. I mean, if you look at people and how their family members look, a lot of times you'll see patterns. People in their family carry their same fat in the same place. So I don't I wish I could say I had this magical diet to get rid of back fat. But the truth is your tough areas are going to be tough. I mean, it, it's called a tough area for a reason. And it's going to be the last area you lose fat and you're going to have to push hard to get rid of it. And then once you get rid of it, you have to be really, really careful about how you kind of adjust your new plan. You know, here's another thing I see with competitors. They get rid of it. And then what happens after a show? Comes you know, they. They pig out right back. Yeah. Yeah. They pig out and it comes back. And not only does it come back, it comes back worse because your body just said, holy shit, this guy just put me through hell. So I'm going to hold on to this fat. As soon as I get a chance, I'm going to hold these fat cells are not only going to get bigger and expand. I want to create more fat cells mm. and I'm going to make it harder for him the next time he wants to diet this off of me because it's not normal. I don't, you know, I don't want to be 4% body fat. It's not healthy. So, a big, big part of somebody's success in competing is what they do after a show. And, I, you know, especially with women, women seem to suffer from this more than guys. And when women, when their weight comes back and plus they add a little, it's always harder to bring them down the second time. It always is. I mean, it's really tough. So, you know, that's so, so essentially, I mean, like I, this is what I tell our clients at the gym that, you know, I give them a um, sort of skeleton diet for a couple of weeks and then I tweak it for them individually. But there's, you know, being a, being a biologist, the, the individual variability and like to so the genetics and family history, tough spots are tough spots and they probably have a heritable component. So um, they're just tough spots for a reason. I like that. All right. So that's yeah. good. Yeah. I'm not happy about the dad fat, but whatever. <laughs> hey I, man, I had a double. I don't have to. <laughs> I, I don't have to walk around with my shirt off on stage like you. You know, I just have to I, pick up my kid. My thought with the dad fat is uh, it came on from not sleeping. So now I have this theory: if I'm in bed asleep before like 10 o'clock and I can sleep till like six, and I can get a, like a, a legit eight hours, I'm going to sleep it off. I'm like, this happened when I was not sleeping. So wait a minute, if I get like a legit eight hour solid sleep, like I'm, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to drink as much water. I'm going to be as hydrated. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to do everything to get that, protect my eight hours. 
that somehow like I'm going to wake up and be like, the body's going to be like, well, thanks. You finally restored what you stole from me. Now I'm going to get rid of your dad, uh, your back fat because that was your punishment for not letting me sleep. <laughs> I just use that machine, dude, where you just wrap that like leather belt around your waist and it kind of vibrates the fat off. <laughs> nice. Well, uh, Ten minutes. Just watching my favorite TV show. The while, while, you're pizza. Hold, while you're holding the shake weight. Yeah. Like, while was, I'm holding the shake weight because you got to work on that grip. Yeah. So uh, Tom Inkledon hit hit me up and uh, there's a new technology that they are trying to pass right now that is actually uh, localized injections that will dissolve fat. So they can actually put injections in and then they use like some form of like cupping mechanism to like suction uh, against the skin. And then over the course of a couple weeks, it actually ends up dissolving the fat cells. And so he was telling me about this. I'm like, you realize if this becomes commonplace, like, you know, we're really out of a job. Right. And I'm like, I, I don't know if you, if this is a good thing, we should fight this because, uh, you know, if people really don't have to be work out to get rid of, to, to be in good shape, I mean, are they really going to train that hard anymore? Well, there, you know, here's the thing though. There's a difference between, uh, dissolving fat cells and looking good and then being fit. Right. So if you dissolve all the fat cells, <laughs> you have no muscle. You're just going to look fucking like, uh, you're going to look like an Ethiopian. Or, or, or you're just going to look like a, um, uh, like a Sharpay. Yeah. Just a lot of hanging skin. A lot of hanging skin. That's attractive. (laughs) That's a good visual. Yeah. Thanks for that. Nice. Luke, how you doing over there? You've been quiet, man. I'm just soaking it all in, man. Just soaking it all in. Remember those conversations, uh, or some of the questions people were asking you when you, um, deliver the nutrition part of the, the nutrition lecture at the seminar. You're getting all kinds of questions about like um, carb loading and back loading and all that. And um, yeah, I mean, we get those. We get those all the time. Like it, it's it's probably the same dozen questions we get. Uh, you know, well, what if carb backloading works for me? Well, then do it. Like we had that this weekend, right, John? Um, and uh, if I'm a hard gainer, what do I do? Eat more. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's like it's in common sense. Yeah. And a well, lot of it, a lot of it where people where people cross cross streams, so to speak, is, you know, when we lecture at our seminar, it's performance based. And the questions that people ask aren't always performance based. They're more aesthetics or longevity based. I mean, uh, you know, John Meadows said when these guys are going into their shows, this isn't the healthiest they've ever been. And people are trying to do this all at the same time and it just doesn't work. And that's where we have to kind of keep recalibrating our lecture at the seminar. That's a good point. You know, they, they see like a, a contest ready physique, bodybuilding physique. And they're like, man, look at the six pack cut all over the place. That's what I want to look like, you know? So they're, they get on CrossFit football, go with the strength template. And then, you know, I see the questions on the blog too. And, and, uh, it's like they, they want that look, but with, without, uh, like depleting, you know, calorie depleting or, you know, kind of, um, putting in the, the strictness of the diet that it takes to look like that. They just think, Hey, if I just chow down and eat as much, you know, protein and high fat that I'll just kind of grow into a, a cut, ripped, shredded body. Mm-hmm. Well, the biggest thing that I've seen is um, it's a lot easier to 
lift heavy free weights and train your body as a whole and just bang it out and literally get as big as strong as you can. I mean, I was looking at when I was doing some Googling on John, I mean, there's some pictures of the, of Dave Tate in there and Dave was, uh, you know, big time power lifter. And there's some pictures where I actually, uh, went to uh, CrossFit had Dave come and speak, um, to CrossFit and I got invited to come listen as a, uh, I guess, um, uh, not a participant as much as the, the only other person that was close to 300 pounds. So he wouldn't feel like out of place with a bunch of 155 pound guys. And so Dave <laughs> came in and spoke and Dave's big son of a bitch and real strong. I mean, trains his ass off. And, uh, then there's some pictures on them, uh, on the site of, uh, him working with John and dude, Dave looks shredded. I mean, I was amazed to see how much he leaned out. And I'm thinking to myself, it's a lot easier to have banged heavy weights your whole life. And then, you know, obviously change your training up a little, change up the diet and, and diet down than it is to be a 155 pound guy and somehow magically get to 230 pounds or 240. I mean, Dave was probably 300 pounds. I'm not telling you, I mean, Dave looked pretty unhealthy. But I'm sure it was, uh, and you can, John can either validate or not, it was probably easier to lean Dave out and get Dave into that shape more so than it was to put on that 100 plus pounds of body weight. Would you Would you agree? Well, and not only that, we got him down. He, he's, <laughs> Dave is, he's one of those guys that he's either full blown, perfect diet, gets shredded, or he's just eating boxes of Pop-Tarts every day. He's an, <laughs> You know, he's an extreme. He's either in or out, huh? There is no second, third, fourth gear with him. I mean, he's extreme, as extreme as they come. And we did get, I mean, I've got Dave down to 230 and shredded, but we had a point where we had him down to 10% when he was around, we got him down about 250, and he was actually stronger when he was at 300. And this is with needing a new hip. He needed a new hip at the time. He since has had it replaced. He needed a new shoulder. Um, I mean, his performance was unbelievable. I mean, we're doing reverse band squats and he did 700 per set of 10 and he's doing dumbbell presses and he's doing like 130s for sets of 10. And for him, you know, that's, or, you know, actually I think he did something crazy too. I think he might've done like 110s for 25 or 30 reps. And for him, he's never been able to do that. So he was kind of like, holy cow, you know, all that fat, you know, maybe it helps you in a squat. That's kind of hard to debate, but the the point is, is he, his performance was a lot better when his body fat was under control and he was fueling his body better. Wow. I like it. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. It's, I mean, it makes so much sense, right? When you say it, those numbers and that kind of data, um, I don't know. It's, I, I have like a, a no dove response kind of, but at the same time, it's amazing because there's so many people who are misinformed about it. Well, yeah, it's this thing called the internet. Yeah, the interwebs are fucking people up. Well, yeah, everybody's a fucking expert. Yeah. And, you know, like that's that's the thing we kind of really battle with. And it's like, you know, like there's so much information. I mean, you know, John's a couple years older than me. We're about the same age. And, um, you know, I always tell people like when I was younger in training, I either had to call somebody on the phone or I had to like go to their house or yeah. go meet them. Like there's no more. You know, there was no internet, there was no email, there was no, uh, you know, there was nothing. Like I remember going to the gym and like, you know, or going to Zangus's garage and that was how we got our knowledge. You actually had to go work with people and actually get to know them. And uh, they didn't tell you everything the first day. You actually had to show up for multiple days. <laughs> now he's like, tell me everything today and I'm never gonna talk to you on the phone. We're just gonna email and then I'm gonna try it for like two weeks. And if I don't get exactly what I want out of it, I'm gonna get on the internet and tell everybody it doesn't work. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do now is write an ebook and you're, you're famous, right? And uh, once you write the famous ebook on whatever loading cycle you have, and you have no accountability. Um, I mean, I've looked at some of these ebooks that some of my my guys send me, and they're like, "Hey, should I try this? Should I try this?" And I'm like, "Where's the data?" I and mean, this is just somebody basically writing an essay on what they think works. And where's the data? You know, I mean, uh, like you said, they don't contact you. It's just buy my ebook for twenty nine ninety five, and it'll work because it's magic. And um, good luck. Don't ever call me. Man, it's no accountability. You know, if it was that easy, everybody would be jacked, right? That's what I always tell people. You get people that are like, this is easy, just do this. Well, you know what? Even if you do everything I tell you to do, I'm not going to guarantee you you're going to look like a freak, all right? Because (laughs) it's not easy to look awesome. It takes a shitload of work and some some pretty damn good genetics, too. Yeah. no, the depending other one too is, uh, uh, I think Mark Ripto said, uh, I'm impressed on no, what'd he say? He said, uh, abs on a skinny guy are like, uh, big tits on a fat girl. Yeah. I like that. see a lot of people and I'm like, I'm really not impressed that you're 155 pounds. I appreciate that you're 5% body fat at 155 pounds, but I mean, like, like that's not really impressive. I mean, what's impressive for me is to see, you know, big, you know, big, strong dudes that are able to carry a lot of lean body mass. And I think what's interesting too, is, uh, with the NFL, you know, guys see like guys like Adrian Peterson or a lot of these professional athletes and they think, Oh man, what, what do those guys do for the training? And little do they know that those guys have a certain amount of genetics that a very, very small amount of the population has. And, uh, you know, I always tell the story I was in, uh, lifting weights in Kansas city. And I remember we were coming back from training camp or we were getting ready to go to training camp and we were testing one RMs and I benched like five and a quarter and uh, Brian waters walked in and I think he he laid down cold and did it five times and then, uh, walked away and said, uh, I've been sitting on the couch for six months and you've been training your ass off and I'm stronger than you. And I was like, yeah, go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Just a genetic freak of a human. It was very, very strong. I mean, it's why he's still, you know, 14, 15 years later, still playing. I mean, Tony Gonzalez is another one. I mean, if Tony took his shirt off, you guys would be like, Jesus. And he's looked that way since we went to college at 18 years old. I mean, it's just very, very genetically gifted human beings. And uh, I think what's hard for people is, uh, you know, you run in, and I'm sure a lot of the pro guys and a lot of the pro bodybuilders, John will tell you, have a certain amount of genetic gifts. And, you know, this is what I do for my training. And this is what I do. And the problem is, is that people aren't uh, that are playing, you know, without a, against a stack deck and they figure, well, if so-and-so did it, uh, you know, then that's what I should do. And what kind of blew me away. And I remember Raphael who we talk about Raphael Reese, Raphael said to me, don't show me your best. Show me the guy that you developed. Show me the guy that nobody wanted that you took and developed into something. I mean, you know, you have certain guys that from the five, from the time they're six years old are destined to play in the NFL and be professional athletes. Show me the guy that, you know, was a walk on that had to do it, that somehow built himself. That's what I want to know what that guy does. And yeah. I think that's the most impressive part. Absolutely. That's why I always looked up, you know, in bodybuilding, that's why I always looked up to guys like, you know, back in the old days, it was a guy like Rich Kaspari or Tom Platts. I mean, those were guys who didn't have the, you know, the Lee Haney genetic, um, you know, the Lee Haney genetics. Those guys just busted their ass and, you know, really, really maximized their potential. And, you know, it's pretty frustrating when you're when you're debating with people and they say, well, this is what Ronnie Coleman did. So I'm going to do what he did. You know what? I OK, I I get that. But you're 
you're you're picking the tiniest percentile of genetics and saying, you know, Ronnie could have done anything and he would look like that. He, you know, he his legs would look like that from mowing his lawn. You know, it, <laughs> the, those guys are genetics are so good. It, it almost takes them out of the whole discussion. And as far as I'm concerned, in terms of doing what they do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Isn't that funny how like society we, you know, people do that. They, well, you know, I want to do what Ronnie Coleman does, or you'll hear some of these like sports announcers, you know, you know, who this guy, well, he's no Michael Jordan, but, and it's like, well, who the fuck is man? I mean, why everybody's got to compare to the very top elite, right? Well, that's how we do That's how we work it. But uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but there's a deal where it, actually Ronnie Coleman has a training weekend. And part of it is you get to go and have a pancake breakfast at Ronnie's house. And Ronnie will make you pancakes. So it's in Dallas. And I think it's like a, a weekend. You pay like a couple hundred bucks and you get to go have two training sessions. Ronnie trains you. And then you get to go have pancakes at his house. I mean, we've been looking at it for years. And I'm like, dude, just the picture of me eating pancakes at Ronnie Coleman's house. So he's got like a chef's hat on and, a, and, a, and an apron and like cooking up pancakes. I was like, that should be, uh, a, we should have a raffle and be able to go to that. Like, I want to go have pancakes at Ronnie's house. <laughs> Heck yeah. That's like awesome. He, he's like sitting there with like this row, uh, with like the, the apron on. And I, like I saw the picture and I think it was Diane Fu sent it to me, the Olympic lifter. And she was like, sent it to me being like, will you go with me? And I'm like, I don't know if I have time, but uh, this looks amazing. I'm like, I, 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 I mean, it'd be probably one of those things where you're sitting there eating at his table and you're like looking around and you're like, Holy shit, Ronnie Coleman's like 350 pounds back there, like, you know, off season. He looks like one of those Myostatin bulls and uh, he's making his pancakes. Awesome. Uh, who am I to say no? Just bring uh, bring your 12 egg omelet recipe. Dude, right you, from you, you the funny about that is uh, I didn't have pictures of that omelet. And so I was supposed to eat my late night meal. And so I had to go in and cook that thing up. And the funnier part was people were like, well, how come you didn't throw meat and bacon and all that in? And I was like, well, you can, but, uh, I was, yeah, that was how many calories I needed to eat for them for my meal. So that's where that thing came from. It was actually, and as I typed it, I realized I didn't have pictures. So I actually had to physically go make it right after I did it. And then I was able to post it with the pictures, but we've got some, uh, good, good results on that 12 egg omelet. Oh yeah. That's what I was going to ask next. Cause I, cause Luke hopped on and said, Hey, um, if anybody, you know, who's going to do this, take some pictures and send it in. And I was going to see if, uh, if that actually happened or not. No, I, I, you know, I, I'll get people take pictures of my wagon wheel pancakes. Um, and, uh, what's funny is I don't know if I think I ever told anybody, my mom was pretty upset with me on that wagon wheels thing. Cause she, uh, she, she now, uh, now that she knows I have a gluten allergy, she said she somehow, uh, is upset that I'm telling the world that she somehow poisoned me with a bunch of like gluten filled pancakes. And she's like, I can't believe you tell the world that I poisoned you. I'm like, mom, I'm allergic to gluten. And you were stuffing me full of pancakes every day. And you wonder why I got sick every day. So my mom's not real happy about <laughs> wow. that. But it made you big. It's true. I'm telling you, man, pancakes will, will definitely put some size and weight on you if you eat them with every meal. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Got that kind of that kind of leads into uh, the submission question. You guys want to knock this out real quick? Yeah, let's sure. do it. All right. So Bulldozer emailed in and he says, I was wondering what your thoughts are with cheat meals when following the CrossFit football slash paleo diet. How often do you guys do it? What do you guys eat? Just curious because I eat the CrossFit football diet and when I cheat, which is pretty much never, I feel like shit and have regrets. Thanks. So, 
So John, just some background, our, our basic kind of our basic deal is like a paleo primal using dairy as kind of a, uh, you know, an accelerator for not only, uh, extra calories, but for growth, because we found a lot of growth out of, uh, raw and pasteurized and a lot of whole dairy stuff. So it's mm-hmm. just basically a paleo primal with dairy. So, uh, for me on cheat meals, um, I'm, I'm not a big, uh, like I, I told you, I, I got problems with the gluten stuff. So my big cheat meal is uh, Mexican food. Um, so I'll go out and eat like uh, tacos and I like guacamole and I'm, I'm pretty basic in that. So uh, I know when I go out to dinner with Luke and there's any chips there, Luke is uh, the chip destroyer. Luke is to chips as uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was to, you know, bad people and Conan. I've never seen anybody crush chips more than Luke, but uh, well, for me, I really like tacos. That's I don't really like chips. I just really like salsa. So, you know, you don't want to be the weird guy eating salsa with a spoon. <laughs> <laughs> so I crush some chips, but, uh, and I'm, I'm a sucker for Mexican food as well. I, I'm not big on like desserts or, or cakes or anything like that. But every once in a while, man, if you're training hard and you know, you drive by an in and out, uh, I'll get myself a milkshake. I'm not going to lie. I go with a little milkshake from in and out, but I'll stay, you know, stay as clean as I can with the in and out stuff. Uh, you know, getting a, a double, double lettuce wrapped, stuff like that. But, um, how do I feel after it? I mean, I very rarely will bounce back and feel awesome in terms of training, but, uh, man, don't live life with regrets. You know, if you're going to eat some, if you're going to eat a, a milkshake, just eat the milkshake and, and keep moving on. It's, uh, you know, where things get slippery is when it's, the cheats start to become really regular on a weekly basis, every other day, shit like that. But, uh, you know, Mexican food is my personal vice. John, what, uh, John, John, what, what do you see for cheat meals? Well, you know, so number one, I tell people don't, don't think you have to take any food out of your diet forever. Uh, donuts, chocolate, I don't care what it is. Um, just as a gentleman just said, if you want to have it a couple times a week, I like to have donuts on the weekend, um, in the morning, Saturday morning on my way to train actually. Um, so don't ever get into that mindset where, oh my God, I can never have this again. Or I can never have that again. All that does is lead leads to binging type behavior. Now me personally, I, uh, we have, um, a chain here called five guys, burgers and fries. I don't know if you guys have that. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Absolutely. I'd love yeah, I love those. So, you know, what What we like to do is Friday nights, we'll go to Five Guys. I'll get um, French fries and I'll get their their double uh, burger. Um, I love milkshakes. There's a graters right beside it conveniently. So I can hit, <laughs> hit them both at once. Um, you know, I had one instance this year when I was uh, getting ready for nationals this year where my weight started crashing during the day, which is a really bad sign for me. So my theory when my weight starts crashing is I got to stop it. So I had a 5,000 calories in a span of two hours and, uh, it was just repeat, repeat milkshakes and hamburgers <laughs> for two hours. But, uh, Sounds wonderful. John, John, if you ever make it out here to California, we have an in and out burger and I'm telling you, uh, people battle about it, but I think in and out, uh, is got five guys beat. But there is a ice cream place in downtown Columbus near the college that has a pasture that uses pasture raised ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. Is it um, I, man? I Is it Jenny's? Yeah, I think it's, that, that's what it is. It's Jenny's. I, and, uh, yeah, they're pretty well known here. They're actually out at Easton now, too, where I live at. I mean, they're right here in my area now, too. Um, I, I love raw dairy. I used to, you know, we started having our twins drink 
uh, raw milk when they were one year old. It's just, there's only one supplier here in Columbus. He's about an hour north of here. And um, it's just kind of a pain uh, to go get it. But I, I wish that, you know, we didn't have the heavy hand of the government telling us what we could drink. My little girls drink uh, uh, raw kefir, uh, goat kefir is, is what they like. Um, my one little girl, when she drinks cow milk, it's uh, really broken out in her face. So we started feeding them uh, goat kefir when they got off of breast milk. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever smelled goat kefir. It's pretty uh, sour. And for some reason, these kids crush it all day long. And I look at them, I'm always like, I'll get it on my hand and be like, oh, this stuff smells terrible. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, you know, the raw and pasteurized stuff. It's just, uh, you know, the only issue out here is now I think it's 10 bucks a half gallon at the market. So yeah. 20 bucks per gallon of milk is something inherently wrong about that. Yeah. It's getting yeah. crazy. Yeah. We can get raw milk. I can get raw milk out here for about seven bucks a gallon and I hammer about four gallons a week. Um, cause it's just awesome. It's good stuff. All right. So any, any more questions, Denny? No, I think that's it. Okay. I think right, we hit cool. everything. Uh, John, thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Hey, thanks, thanks John. For, yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. It was a pleasure. Anytime. Awesome. Um, Luke, you want to wrap up anything uh, that we talked about earlier? Uh, just thanks again, John. It was amazing. And, uh, uh Wade's wings, get on it, get on the team series, uh, check out the search schedules. 2014 is getting planned up as we speak. I was actually doing a little multitasking, uh, getting some search planned, but no, it was, it was a good show and, and let's do it again next week, boys. Sweet. All right, guys. Thank you. Thanks All right. Awesome. Talk Thanks again, week. John. See you later See you guys.